episode is brought to you by the American Urological Association. It's my pleasure now to introduce this year's John K. Latimer Lecture, who is Dr. Ralph Clayman. Dr. Clayman is a graduate of Grinnell College and the University of California, San Diego School of Medicine, and following his residency in urology at the University of Minnesota and a research scholarship at UT Southwestern, he spent 17 years at Washington University in St. Louis. Uh, in 1984, he initiated the first uh, fellowship program in endourology that has graduated more than 30 fellows, many of whom have uh, gone on to current leadership positions in academic urology. I actually count myself as one of the beneficiaries of that uh, great training. In 1990, he and his surgical team performed the world's first laparoscopic removal of a kidney. In 2002, he accepted the uh, chair appointment of the newly formed Department of Urology at the University of California at Irvine and served as dean of the medical school there for a period uh, from 2009 to 15. Dr. Clayman is co-founder of the Endourology Society, served as the founding co-editor of the journal, holds 24 patents, and has published over 480 manuscripts. Presently, he is distinguished professor of urology in the Department of Urology at uh, UC Irvine. The title of his lecture today is Innovation in Urology from a Seminal Why to a Functional How. Dr. Clayman. Dr. Denstead, members and guests. I'm both honored and humbled to be able to provide the 2023 Latimer Lecture on Innovation in Urology. This presentation has been 39 years in the making. Thanks to 35 individuals who have served both as fellows and colleagues in St. Louis and then in Irvine. Their work has further fostered innovation in urology while also providing the bedrock upon which others have been able to build and innovate. In the next 18 minutes, we will cover five topics which I hope will provide you with some stimulation for your own creativity and innovation. So we will look at curiosity and awareness, the seminal why, creativity and the creates mindset, if you will. We will look at the functional how, and we will look at two examples in urology, endourology and laparoscopy. The best question in the world is one that we are very free to ask, especially in this country, and that is the word why. Paul Lang, my good friend and colleague, has often opined that curiosity and awareness is the bedrock of medicine without which progress would not be possible. What I'd like to introduce to you is the concept of the seminal why, which is something birthed because of empathy, consternation, or challenge. The seminal why is a very special 
question in that it is the one question that oftentimes is asked by the youngest person on the service and generates the greatest negative response in the most senior person on that service. And Apple is the example, the birth of the iPhone. Steve Jobs was asked in 2004 by a group of engineers about changing the iPad into a phone. Jobs' response, why the, would we ever want to do something like that? That's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. The engineers took that as a seminal why, proceeded then to develop the iPhone. The seminal why begets creativity, which is the universal human ability to harness imagination and the senses to generate new ideas. Creativity has been broken down by Shelley Carson into these various attributes that she calls the creates brain set. Connect, reason, envision, the ability to absorb knowledge, the ability to transform a negative result into positive outcomes, the ability to evaluate and lastly, stream, which is the ability to be in a zone such that time no longer exists. These two pathways can either be spontaneous or, in the case of reasoning and evaluation, very much deliberate. Everybody has some of these capabilities. It would be the very rare individual that would have all of them. But you can find out for yourself what your Create's brain set is by just going online and taking a, a test or purchase Dr. Carson's book and go through it yourself. But you need to know your own strengths. Moving from the seminal why, which is the thought that sets the stage that leads to conversation, consternation, and challenge, and it is where you basically begin to get stimulated. From that, you need to go to the action item which is the functional how. Why is it like this to how can we do this differently? So the functional how breaks down into three areas, but the functional how most of all is what will take you to innovation, where you get to do new things or get to do old things in new ways by people who are susceptible to change. The functional how has three aspects to it, a philosophical, a practical, and the people that are involved. The philosophical and the practical considerations each have three parts. And so from a standpoint of the philosophical, you want to know, does your innovation have a purpose? What's the purpose of what you want to do that's new? And what is the urgency for that purpose? Do you need to do that now? And the next thing then, is to look at the practical aspects. Do you have the time to pursue the new? Do you have an environment in which you can work and develop the new? And do you have stewardship to help you as partners to bring that innovation to a reality? From the people standpoint, again, it's so important to know yourself. Are you an ideator? Are you a developer? Are you a clarifier? Are you an implementer? You need to figure out again, what are your strengths? That's really important. 
Some people have two of these. Some people may have three of these personality types, but it's a rare individual who would ever have all four. And as a result, you begin to realize that innovation is absolutely a team sport. Again, a little bit of Steve Jobs who said the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. And in that regard, it is very clear that Jobs alone was not sufficient to bring on the revolution that was Apple. He needed Steve Wozniak. Wozniak was the engineer who could actually make the Apple computer. And so if you look at this together, Jobs served as an ideator and an implementer, but it was Wozniak who served as a clarifier and as the developer. Once again, innovation is a team sport. Know yourself and then find the people that will complement your own strengths. Two examples that I've had the privilege of experiencing in urology follow. The first one is by Arthur Smith, who in 1978 went, why can't I get this Gibbon stent up the ureter? And came up and said, well, how can I position a ureteral stent when a retrograde approach fails? And to his credit, Art thought of this. Well, let's just not push it up, let's pull it up. And that started the concept of the nephrostomy tract being an access route rather than just solely a means of drainage. Shortly thereafter, with Ellen Fraley and Paul Lang, they basically came up with the term endourology, Dr. Fraley's thought on this and development, and published this editorial introducing the concept of endourology into the field of urology. If one looks at the factors for innovation, the philosophical and the practical, the philosophical was definitely there. The purpose of this was to basically cause patients less pain. The urgency was there because every day patients were being cut open to take out a ureteral stone or a renal stone. The practical was there at the University of Minnesota. There was time to work in the laboratory. You had the laboratory itself in which you could work. And then there was tremendous stewardship from companies in those days like Cook and Boston Scientific to help develop the instrumentation and then support the courses. The people were there. We were very blessed at the University of Minnesota at that time. Art certainly served as an ideator. But then you had Bob Miller, who was an amazing interventional radiologist who served as a developer. And then you had someone like Paul Lang as a clarifier. And finally, you had Dr. Fraley and Kurt Amplatz, who were very much persistent and assertive and determined that this was going to go forward. And thus, in short order, this initial thing and thought of using the nephrostomy tract for access to the kidney moved from just putting up a given stint into a various number of other areas and other instrumentation such that it moved from that aspect to stone removal, to repairing the ureteral pelvic junction, to ureteral strictures, and to treatment of transitional cell cancers. Let's fast forward to 1990 uh, with Dr. Cavusi. We were working in the early days of laparoscopy with Nat Soper on laparoscopic cholecystectomy in pigs. 
and the kidney was there, and Lou and I came up with the question, why are we continuing after 120-some-odd years to make a large incision to access the kidney and remove it? That why became a how. How do we remove a kidney without making a large flank incision? If one looks at the various factors for innovation, the philosophical was definitely there. The vision was actually to be able to take a kidney out without a large incision. The urgency was there because everyday patients were undergoing incisions in order to have a kidney removed. The practical aspects were there. We had a laboratory that we could work in and try and develop this. We also had the time to do this on a lab day at Washington University, thanks to the department that Bill Catalona had created. And we had stewardship again, thanks to the engineers at Cook Urology. So we had the philosophical and the practical, and then we had all the people were in place. We were fortunate, and I was fortunate and still am, to have worked with Lou. Uh, Lou is an amazing uh, force of nature, and there's no doubt that if Lou gets in his mind that something can be done, uh, it will be done. Uh, and then we had the good fortune of working with Nat Soper, a general surgeon who bought into the plan and absolutely served as a clarifier. We had phenomenal developers in May, rest in peace, Fred Romer and Paul Thompson and Ed Pingleton from Cook Urology who could make the equipment we needed. And then we had a whole host of implementers in the forms of fellows and residents. And thus we were able to work in the laboratory and actually do a laparoscopic nephrectomy in a laughably long time of 2.8 hours. We thought we were pretty slick. What really came in as the innovation was the desire to remove this kidney without making a large flank incision, and that's what resulted in the development of the lap sac and then a morselator, such that the entire kidney could be removed through an incision no bigger than the 12 millimeter port. This came to fruition then in June of 1990 at Washington University in an 85-year-old woman who had a three centimeter tumor, and in those days, that was a nephrectomy. We were able to do this after embolizing the kidney, putting up a <coughs> urethral stent. This took us over six hours to do. The only thing that went as it went in the laboratory was the actual entrapment of the kidney and morselation. Patient left the hospital six days later, requiring three milligrams of morphine sulfate for any discomfort. When you look at this picture, you realize that this patient then underwent a procedure. This is the pathology. They were able to make a diagnosis. And this was her abdomen with no incision larger than a dime. We were pretty proud of what we did, and I think because of that, the good Lord looked down and said, pride goeth before a fall. And so your pathology, Dr. Clayman, is an oncocytoma. Your operation was never needed in the first place. And today, this would undergo a biopsy in an outpatient setting at UC Irvine. The diagnosis would be made, and the only mark on the patient would be a needle track. But again, this served as a paradigm shift. And in short order came laparoscopic nephroureterectomy, as well as partial nephrectomy that Howard Winfield first did at the University of Iowa, along with 
other procedures that we were able to do, as well as then radical prostatectomy that Lou and I were able to do with Bill Schusler in Texas. And so I would like to leave you with one unanswered seminal why in 2023, and that why is why after more than 40 years are we still creating tracks across the kidney to remove renal stones? Why is the entire parenchyma of the kidney bearing trauma for, if you will, the sins of the collecting system? That why needs to move into a functional how, which is how can we better use the ureter to effectively access and treat all renal stones? And a lot of people are working on that how today. So in conclusion, looking at innovation in urology, first and foremost, be curious, be aware, ask the seminal why. And when you ask that seminal why and someone senior to you tells you that that is the dumbest idea that they have ever heard, don't go to HR and complain. Write that question down, put it in your desk, and when you get to become an assistant professor, act on it. Know your creative brain sets. Know who you are. Take the test. Realize in what areas you excel. And then proceed to the functional how. Understand that your innovation has to have an impact. Understand that you need a proper environment and then know who you are with regard to being a clarifier, an ideator, an implementer, a developer, and then seek those individuals to complement your own talents. Seek those individuals who will absolutely make up your team and make an effective team. And lastly then, proceed to innovation. Never look back. You're not going that way.